Well, welcome to Practical Principles for Nourishing Your Newborn. I didn't really want to put breastfeeding in the, um, in the bulletin or online, but um, here we are. <clears throat> um, and just introducing myself, even the folks in Transparent that I've seen haven't really gotten to see. Um, this is my family, my husband Bobby on staff here, me, my son in the middle, um, Army Ranger at Fort Benning, and my daughter Becky, and then her boyfriend. And we were um, last weekend up in Colorado all together. And then that is a friend's baby, actually, one of the babies from our foundation group that we just did one time a few years back. And um, I, that's just the area I love hanging out with, is folks expecting and having their newborns. And by the time you've got a year-old one, then I wish you well, but I'm not as interested. <laughs> I care about you. You know, talk to me when uh, you, they meet milestones. But this is just really my focus. Um, and I work part-time at Presby Dallas for doing lactation. So um, some of you all that deliver there, I do get to see. I just saw someone this past week who was in the... January 10 class. She was like the last one of the January 10 class for Transparent to deliver. And we're going to look at um, a lot of scriptures in addition to some breastfeeding information. And I, I thought this was an interesting contrast of how God intends us. He puts the solitary in families. He intends us to be <clears throat> fruitful and multiply because that's the support system. That's really the original community group is to have family around you, walking with you and, you know, working off those edges that or where you're veering off course for following Christ. It's, it's supposed to be that you're in context of family and not all by yourself. I mean, it really is the original social security. It's not that the government was going to take care of that. Did any of you all hear that lesson when Todd talked about the purpose of government and family and um, church and how they're distinct and different? Well, we're, we're um, needing to look at kids more than, oh, my word, you've got three kids, you've got three college educations. They're a heritage and a blessing and honestly like an asset to you more than just a financial debit or liability. Um, think about the <clears throat> places where in the, in the word it talks about, woe to those who are pregnant and nursing. Have you ever thought about what, what is that referring to? Anyone have any thoughts on that? Welcome back there. Tell me y'all's names. Emily and Bobby. Okay, Emily and Bobby Herbold. When are y'all due? November 8th. Great. Okay. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Why would they specify out people who are pregnant and nursing if there's disaster? Think about the people in Haiti or in New Orleans. What do you think is going on there? I think it's because, a couple of things, that it's such an intensive job to pour out and care for the newborn, and the newborn is so vulnerable, and he's the future. You know, that it really takes some protection, just like the womb is protecting the growing fetus, that it takes some protection and care to bring up a, a helpless and completely dependent newborn to, to where they can stand on their own. And then the ones who are pouring out to them are so engaged in the pouring out and caring for, they need people around them. So it's like multiple circles. Um, 
This I, I came across a couple years ago, and it's hysterical, really. It's Moses out in the wilderness, and he's getting a little tired of carrying the burden of the people that he's dragging around with him in the wilderness. What do you see in it about parenting? Okay, I'm going to do it for you. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a nursing, like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Like, God, you promised this, and this is now on me? Where am I supposed to get meat? They keep whining. I can't do it by myself. And actually, if you go back, he's like, it's far too heavy. If this is how you're going to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Spare me the misery. <laughs> now, you laugh. It's funny, but when you get into the first weeks of taking care of a newborn, it can feel like a very overwhelming job. And um, what ended up happening with Moses is that God raised up other people to come alongside him to bear the burden. But you can see a lot of the responsibility of parenting in there. And, and you know the dependence. Like this newborn comes unable to do very much. What can he do? Our, our two-week, three-week parents, what does the baby do? And he can cry, sleep, sleep some, we wish more, eats, and I'm thinking one-fourth one, makes messes. Yeah, <laughs> makes a lot of laundry. <laughs> but they are very, very dependent. They say, one, one of the writers, it's actually the Harvey Karp guy, he says, um, you know, these babies have to be born at a certain point before their head gets any bigger that they can't exit the birth canal. And yet they are really not prepared. Like a baby calf is ready to get out and stand up. These, these little creatures have to be born and, and grow from that point on, but they need a lot of care. And particularly nourishing. And I like the thought of thinking about what all we're nourishing for. We want our babies to survive and to grow and it's for their health and protection, you know, that we nourish them um, and that we breastfeed them. Um, I want to just put the disclaimer in. We're going to talk a little bit about bottle feeding because there are times in a small percentage where the breastfeeding doesn't work. But if I was teaching you guys childbirth class, I would ask you all to do the natural childbirth class and then see what happens. But I'd want you all prepared for everything you could be prepared for. And then um, on this, I'm teaching breastfeeding, but we'll talk about bottle feeding too. But also thinking about God, our Father, caring for us is for our survival. He wants us to latch onto the Word for our survival, for our growth, for our health and protection, that He gives us all the truth that He gives us. Um, this is chunky little Mr. Hickson Mano, um, who's thriving. And the nourishment of breastfeeding is also about relationship. That's Chris Mundy and baby Elliot. Um, that there's a lot of interaction. You know, whether you're doing breastfeeding or bottle feeding, there's a lot of interaction there. You're not going to prop the bottle and leave the baby to do it. There's, there's the relationship, and certainly that's working when we are attached to the food source we need from our father. And our development into more maturity and abilities the economics um, of breastfeeding versus bottle feeding, that's one of the really divergent areas. Like if you talked to um, um, Jill and Erin Garcia, they will talk about 
breastfeeding did not work. Um, Jill worked very hard. It just didn't show up. And she said, we did not plan on that extra $200 a month. Um, and their little guy has been healthy enough, but it was an expense they didn't expect. And convenience and availability is, I think, a little higher with the breastfeeding. Um, some people really grab on to the, I want to be able to measure exactly what the baby's getting. But there's a fair amount of, um, you know, storing and preparing and cleaning and whatnot that you don't have um, when, when you're doing the breastfeeding. Also think about being on a Southwest Airlines flight that happens to get diverted and did you bring enough formula? Well, the mom who's doing it from herself is like not going to run out. That's sort of a convenience. Okay. But God certainly has prepared for and provided before the baby comes and after the baby comes for what is available for nourishment of the baby. And um, I, I know you guys, I hope you have all been looking at the um, hi and bye guys. <laughs> okay. Um, uh Psalm 139, because it's such a sweet one when you're thinking about a baby growing. Um, and God intends to be blessing with abundance, I think. Um, blessings of heaven, blessings of the deep, blessings of the breast and the womb that God provides for us. And this is an illustration to me of just the remarkable provision um, that God provides. Um, and you think about the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Um, the picture of the test tubes is colostrum. That's the first milk for the first few days, and four milk and hind milk. Four milk and hind milk are, after you get past the stage for colostrum, milk varies in its calorie content, richer and a little bit thinner. Like, actually, the four milk has some, a, a lot of water content, but also a lot of protein content. Basically, the principle is on the four milk kind milk is that the fuller the breasts are, the more um, water content, or more like skim milk. And the less full they are, the more empty they get, the richer the milk is. Um, and they say, like, in the evening, moms tend to be a little bit less full, but it's richer milk, which would mean that baby can tuck away a few more calories in less volume. Think about how much fat-free milk versus how much whole milk you'd drink to get the same amount of calories. And baby's looking for a certain number of calories in a day. The colostrum is really, really rich in the um, antibodies. So baby comes out, hits the world, and God is giving him all sorts of antibodies and things that on the interior of his intestine where it starts a little bit webby, it helps mature it so the webs close off so it's more resistant to things. It does a similar thing in the neurological system and in the respiratory system. So that colostrum is pretty key for the first thing going through a baby's system. And this is a preemie um, who is probably getting tube fed with that tube. The milk that the premature baby's mom makes has a different composition of carbohydrate, fat, and protein than the 40-week mom makes. It's tailored to exactly where that mom was in her gestation, which is pretty cool. And thinking about, like, as you move forward from newborn to an 8-month-old or a 12-month-old, the number of times you're feeding that baby in a day is less. But the milk has changed a little bit. The antibodies are more concentrated into the number of times you're feeding them. Um, if you're giving, um, you know, if somebody has a cold, it's starting to put out things that fight that cold. 
they say to hug the child care provider so that you're exposed to whatever they've got because you'll be making antibodies for it for the baby. Um, there are actually a lot of substitutes. Um, we do have bottles. We've got formula, and in the United States, it's safe. We've got safe water and safe storage for formula. Pacifiers, swaddling, swings, white noise, carriers, mobiles. What are they substituting for? You guys, they're substituting for the interaction with mom, you know? So that's the main piece of equipment, even when you're bottle feeding, you know, that you're the one helping him to feel snug and safe, that you're the one, you know, giving him a little bit of shh, the white noise thing, or, or the interaction, you know, something fun to look at. Um, um, but it's definitely, the, all those things are just, sort of a, instead of mom being available, um, or dad, um, and they enjoy listening to heartbeat. That's sort of that original womb noise, is them getting to have their little ear on your chest and listen to you. Um, <clears throat> and there's different, different appropriate uses for those all. But I just wanted you to recognize that really the main thing is that they want continued connection with mom and dad. That's what they have been used to for nine months, and it's not going to be unusual that a baby who's new wants to reconnect, you know, instead of be set down a lot. Okay, Callie's having a drink. I want you all not to have anything to drink from now until about 9.45. You may not pick up your cups. I'm just teasing. But, but how would you feel if you just went by the clock as far as when someone allowed you to eat or drink? You know, and these little babies have a system that their metabolism turns over as much as like my dad, who was a pediatric surgeon, said an eight hour day in a baby's life is like a 24 hour day for us. And they are going to eat almost three times every eight hours, you know. Um, and it's not just that they come to the breast for a big meal and they're done and they don't want anything else. Sometimes they need a little tap back, you know. So I don't disagree with having repeating routines in a day, but be a little flexible about, you know, really rigidly operating on the clock because they're going to maybe, if it's hot out and they're sweating more, well, yes, they might want a little more liquid, you know. So um, I, I think the BabyWise curriculum has some advantages. I think they've softened up a little bit on the first couple of weeks about feeding more on demand till you get the feeding really nicely established. But it's just not realistic to completely let the clock rule between you and your baby. You're going to put your head and your heart into it and say, okay, I think what's going on here is such and such and that this is what's going to answer the need here. Okay? Um, so anyway, substitutes, and then we have God's design. I thought this was a really cute ad, and I'm sure I'm violating copyright laws to have it up here, but announcing True Breast, revolutionary new method, um, ready in an instant, less work for mom with a lullaby sound unit, it's unbreakable, got quick fill holding tank, doesn't need sterilizing, don't have to boil the nipple, no wasteful patch packaging, Solve the problem of storage until the next baby comes along. It's going to be ready to be used then. It's decorative as well as functional. <laughs> it's absolutely free, you know. So it, it's what you're, you're equipped with. And other part of the system is um, 
there's a real dynamic between the mom and the baby. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Well, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord is so aware of what's going on with you. And a a mom with a baby, have you found this? Like you might wake up a little bit before that baby wakes up. Your body talks to you about, I'm full. I need my my buddy here to empty out. You know, it's a it's a dynamic pair. And um, and remember those the the sort of the refugee people out in the wilds. You know, mom and baby that unit needs the protection around them. Um, but there's definitely a dynamic of mom needing to empty out and baby needing to fill, and it works together. Um, just want to talk particularly to the dads a little bit um, and, and to the moms, but what's the new mom going to be like? I think even more so than in pregnancy, when, when the, the new mom has delivered, she can be very focused and not very objective. She can be real protective, like total grizzly bear mom showing up on the inside, watching out for her cub, and very vulnerable. I mean, that hyper-focus thing on the baby means that... If someone walks in her hospital room with a frown on their face, she's going to immediately take it like, I've done something wrong. There must be something wrong with my baby. You know, different, just there's a vulnerability about her. And, and comments from the mother-in-law could hit a lot harder than ever before. You know, like someone gives a suggestion and she's going to take it as, I must be doing something wrong. It wasn't meant that way, but it can feel like that because you're at a pretty vulnerable point. Um, and um, God talks to us about the gentleness and the tender care for her children and the pouring out of life that's going to be going on. And, and that's very much the case. Um, and look how the Lord is described like that, that El Shaddai name of God, the all-sufficient one, describing power not of violence but of all bountifulness. Um, the pourer or shedder forth of blessings. Okay, this came from a... I think it was a K. Arthur, or it was a um, one of those gals that I I need to put the um, reference to. But the poor or shedder forth, who pours out himself for us, and you think about Jesus saying, "Come to me, I have what you need. Come to me," um, and and that God's providing for us as we're needy, and for that baby through us, live, living water that flows. This is this is what's giving them life. Okay, now we're not going to be putting the babies to dad's breast. So it's like, okay, I know dads come to breastfeeding class thinking, why do I have to go to this? Well, it's not your particular activity, but it makes all the difference in the world that dad's involved. I mean, there's statistically, you know, when they do research, a much greater chance of success when dad's on board and supporting the mom in doing this and honestly, for just the economics and the ease to you, you should be on board of it. Like my husband will tell you, you know, you for sure want her to breastfeed because you're not going to be up at night as much. <clears throat> you can get up. You can bring the baby to mom and you can change the diaper and that sort of thing. But to provide for her where she can focus in on the baby and be that, that you know, provision and protection around this new little unit as this new life is getting off the ground and someone who's coordinating what's going on in life outside of this little focused unit is really pretty key. 
because there's going to be so much more activity going on in your lives and less time and energy to do it that dad being on board for just sort of having an idea of what needs to happen with the mom and baby and what's going on elsewhere because he's probably operating a lot more objectively than mom makes an enormous difference and the support i mean it's one of those step up to the plate in unselfish service mom's got to pour out when that baby's up in the middle of the night it's not like she can say you know i i think this time i'm just going to skip it not likely because you're not likely to sleep is it possible to sleep much through the fussing <laughs> um and um and so as she's pouring out that dad is unselfishly helping her with what he can and you you both have to carve out time to be caring about one another but there's just like an inescapable unselfishness in having a new baby in the house you don't get to devote very much time to yourself for a while would you guys say that's pretty much true it's like they're just needy you know and you have to go through that phase so i would encourage the husbands to um to just think about her fragility in this time that that you're aware um that you live with her in an understanding way as a weaker vessel although you're both heirs to the grace of life but you're you're both proceeding towards that um inheritance that God has promised it's just that at this point she needs the strength that you're offering in her fragility okay so as dads are thinking about I'll learn about this fine we're going to talk about milk being made and milk being transferred and anatomy and hormones come into play for it being made um there's basically two um hormones one that controls production of the milk and one that controls the release of the milk and anatomy you're pretty well familiar with but there's lots of little milk making glands then there's duct work with little uh, muscle fibers that move the milk forward um mom is um her side of getting this thing to happen is what is being supplied from her, from the milk glands and the delivery like someone who's had breast surgery sometimes has milk made and no exits they've been scarred over because of surgery um so but supply of milk and delivery of milk and and whether she's got the you know offering the frequency to the baby and then the baby brings to the equation what ability you think about a 36 week old baby is not bringing as much ability as a 40 week baby a lot because of stamina maybe some because of coordination and then you know what opportunities are the baby is the baby given and some babies start with something that makes it hard on their end like a tongue tie or a cleft palate or something that just that's an extra challenge for them to be able to get the milk or the premature baby extra challenge where we use some mechanical methods to help get the milk easier to the baby who's got less ability <clears throat> Okay, this is a really big principle um that frequent and effective removal makes more milk. And lack of stimulation, milk stasis, milk sitting still, and increased pressure in the breast decrease milk supply. Okay, that decreased milk supply would be helpful as a baby gets a few months older and skips a feeding in the middle of the night. For a few nights mom might feel full sort of during that time frame. but then her body is going to adjust because it's not being taken out and her body knows to a drop down on that time of production the frequent and effective removal is like if i'm stocking the hershey bars at the store and they are flying off the shelf way better than the nestle crunch bars i've got to order more of the hershey bars 
So the more it's being taken away, the more that has to be ordered. Um, so frequent and effective um, removal makes more milk. And it has to be both, frequent and effective, because you don't want the pressure to build up and the milk to sit still real long. Um, okay, but we're comfortable with what we've been around. So when we think about moving into the breastfeeding thing, in the United States, most women have not a lot been around other people breastfeeding. Um, we've been around bottle feeding a lot, you know. And so people tend to act like they are the human bottle with their breast and, and want to, you know, take it somewhere and shove it into the baby's mouth like it was a bottle. Um, I don't know if you can quite see that, but it's a billboard with a lot of cleavage. In the United States, we've comfortably been around a lot of indecent exposure, and we hardly think about it anymore. But when someone goes to breastfeeding their baby, which to me is enormously more discreet and much more functional, people are like, I'm really not comfortable with that. So that puts the women in our culture at a big disadvantage because they, they get a baby in their arms that they're supposed to be comfortable feeding, and they have not been around it much unless you're in a really unusual family. And I've seen those families. I mean, I've seen families where there's 10 people in the room and the mom is feeding away and doesn't think a thing about it, and it's men and women of all generations. And I've seen women that I've helped that hardly want the lactation person to come in and help her. So there can definitely be a discomfort level. But just thinking about it in context, God designed this to feed the baby, and yet we're comfortable with, you know, let my, my clothes drop off in front of the whole world instead of just in the bedroom with my husband. So we're a little backwards. Okay, position and latch. This is really a big component of successful transfer of the milk. And when the milk is successfully transferred, it would get produced better. So this is down at the Nasher Sculpture Garden. See what's going on. You see the working part in this is the jaw, and it's very true to life. The top half of our mouth is part of the rest of the skull. The jaw does the movement. So when we're looking at positioning the baby and getting the baby into the breast well, if my thumb was the jaw and it came to the nipple, or like I put the breast into the baby's mouth, and baby takes a lot of breast from the top, the pressure is really landing on the nipple. And for most women, that's a very sensitive spot. So I think that's by God's design, that God's meaning for mom to go, I don't really like that. Because if we go opposite, wait for baby to open wide, this is his jaw, we put the nipple high, we bring the baby's jaw in below the nipple, and he makes it over the top. Now the pressure is in the breast, and it works a lot more milk out. It's going to work so much better for the baby. So I think that nipple pain is purposefully designed into your system so that you will go, mm, no, no, let's do something different. Although I've seen moms who are, it's so important, I'll do it if it kills me. But it would work better for both of them if they would adjust and get it more comfortable. Okay? So when we're doing position and latch, we want mom to get comfortably situated where she's not perched and tense and um, you know, just desperately trying to get that baby on, baby's not going to be very comfortable here either because he's not going to feel very secure. But get mom settled in comfortably and bring the baby into mom, close and comfortable and secure. We want the baby's chin forward. You think about when you're drinking and you lift off of your chest. If a baby is past the breast and coming down on it, tucking their chin down, 
they're so likely to close their mouth. If they're lifting up, they're likely to open their mouth. Chin forward because we're wanting to get the baby's jaw deeply into the, into the breast because it's the more effective working part to work the milk out. So chin in the breast and it leaves some nice nose space. And there's a gap between the nipple and the lower lip because just where we want to get that jaw and lower lip into the breast and not onto the nipple. Okay? Um, and I, this is a good verse if you want to memorize it. Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord your God, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Like, I'm going to take care of you. I have delivered you from slavery. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Wait for the baby to open his mouth wide. Don't try to shove it in there when he's just exploring. And your brand new babies are going to do some exploring and sort of just testing out what do I feel and, and what am I finding. And even when they grab the breast sometimes, it's like, that didn't quite hit my sweet spot. And they will do some on and off adjusting. Okay, so when we're thinking about is the milk getting transferred, we might have baby latched. It's a good thing to ask. Is the baby latched well? Is it like he settled in and he looks comfortable? Um, and is it hurting mom? And has he connected to milk flow where he's not just sucking, but after a little bit of just sucking, he's drinking? And you're going to be watching when the baby comes for is he just sucking or is he drinking? And then is he getting enough? You know, okay, he's transferring some, but is he getting enough? Okay, this next picture... The first one is at birth, a little friend of mine. And you just look at his legs, for example. 10 to 14 days later, see how lean those legs look? And his arms look lean? He actually started out beautifully nourished because that's what happens in pregnancy. Comes out and you don't have to worry the first day or 48 hours how much is the baby getting because he's He's operating on what he got from pregnancy a lot. He's peeing and pooping from what he got on pregnancy. But as you move into the second and third day, he's going to be seriously looking for where's my new source of food. Might be a whole different baby. But they start nicely nourished. This little guy was getting plenty of opportunity to nurse. Mom was offering it. Mom had made milk before, but he was not transferring it very well. And it was something that was sort of like not really... Um, clear-cut happening until she realized at 10 to 14 days he is so falling asleep well he was just running out of stamina he was barely getting by he was still making some wet diapers but he was not getting enough to thrive now you can't see because of the way the light is but she worked she needed to do some pumping and she took some herbs built up her supply supplemented for a little bit with some formula but then with the pumped milk until he got back on his feet and he was strong enough to do it himself and he sailed on but just that that transfer of milk he was being given the opportunity and um and mom had the capacity to make milk but because he wasn't taking very much <clears throat> where she found herself at 10 to 14 days was not with a full supply because he'd been taking less than he needed okay so that's just one little pitfall that sometimes we get into. Okay, this one is um, they're going to put the baby on the breast, and I want you to look and see if you can tell when the swallowing's going on. <clears throat> so if you'd like to do cross cradle, you get your hand supporting your breast. The big sister's going to help us. And then you're going to just gen gently run the nipple on these upper lips and wait for him to open wide. 
Wait for him to open nice and wide. And then bring him in from his back. Okay, now it could be a... Let's let him come off because that wasn't as good as it could have been and he says also. So rub it up slowly. And deeper from the back and squeeze the breath. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze as he comes on. So it's not my hands in there, but your hands. He says, okay, I can do this. Nice drinking already. They're short, but see if they change. There. There. You see how the chin drops down and pauses? There. So he's got two or three that are a little shorter and one that's a little longer. It's a good handful of breasts. The, the light on this is not giving as much visibility of his chin, but we're going to have one more lighter about actually seeing the swallowing. Okay. Different to see, but I hope you all can relate to it because you're going to need to have some idea of the difference between the su sucking and the swallowing. Okay. How do we know if they're getting enough? We've got to watch what goes in and what comes out. What goes in? at least eight feedings, generally eight to 12 in 24 hours. And a baby who comes to a feeding like, I want to eat again, instead of, oh, this is a lot of work and I don't know if I can do it. You don't want a baby running out of gas. You want to see swallowing and hear swallowing like a, and a lot of this stuff is on the back of that one that has the diagrams. So don't feel like you have to take all the notes, but that, that sheet that has the diagrams on one side has a lot of this on the back. And then after the baby eats, you sort of see a, ah, I am good. You know, change my diaper, I don't care. That you're looking for that contentment. And, and then some decent downtime, it's going to vary in length of time, but the baby coming back again, I'm ready to eat again. They should, you know, you might have to wake them up some to eat, but when you suggest the idea, they get on board with, yes, let's have a meal. Um, and then what comes out, and this picture it's hard to see, but Grandma has poop up and down her shirt. <laughs> um, what goes in must come out, so it's really easy to count what's coming out. You can't always determine when the beginning and end of feedings are because sometimes they're sort of on and off and the timing doesn't work real clear cut on what was one feeding or another feeding. But you can count what's coming out on the diaper end. And by day five to six, when they're metabolizing breast milk, the stool changes from a dark, dark blackish green into a yellow. We want to see at least four stools every 24 hours for most of the first six weeks. And six wets for every 24 hours with clear or pale yellow urine, not getting concentrated in darker urine. Um, and there's charts from um, online. There's one in the booklet that we give at Presbyterian. Um, of, for the first 10 days, how many wets and stools we're looking for. For example, in the first 24 hours, we really only, for minimums, want to see one wet and one dirty. And two and two on day two, three and three on day three, and four and four on day four. But after day four, we're expecting mom to be flowing with some milk, baby to be uh, up to the ability of taking it pretty well, and we're getting the four stools and the six wets for most of the 24 hours. And if not, you're going to look at the whole picture and see, okay, what am I seeing? You know, gather the clues kind of thing. How big did your little guy start out? Or is it a girl? It's a boy. He started big. Okay. He, yeah, that's a big start. Okay. So ideally, when you're getting started, you're going to feed the baby pretty early on. And most of the hospitals now are doing skin-to-skin -skin in the delivery area 
or recovery room because the sooner baby can come connect with you, the more the hormone thing is starting to dance, okay? And it's a place where baby can be maintained temperature-wise and he's, he feels at home. I've seen their face once in a while when you put them on mom's chest and put the ear to the chest and they're like, I know this. This feels comfortable to me. You know, he's been listening to this for his whole existence. So it's a great place for um, baby to be, and often then they'll start bobbing around and saying, I think there could be something I'm interested in here. And that's pretty instinctive. Have you seen where a baby's been on someone's chest and they do this, like, okay, man, they have terrible balance? No, they have a honing system and they are going to find the breast. That is not loss of balance. And sometimes they do it a little bit overshooting and they're way past their target, but they, they're heading for something on purpose. Um, in the first few days, you're going to want to start watching for what are your baby's hunger cues. What are they showing you when they are interested in food? Um, describe a couple for us of what your little person does. Screams. Screams. Does he do anything before the screaming? Sometimes he does his arm. Kind of yeah. Okay, the arm thing is interesting because when they're laying on their back, the arm thing, or when they're laying up here with mom, all, has looked to some moms like they're pushing away. But think about if the baby was laying on top of me. What is the arm thing doing? It's him crawling to the breast. And the kicking is him scooting to the breast. So if baby were laying on top of mom, and you can do that in your hospital room, you can see them sort of doing a one of these, you know, and even sometimes... Practice with my fist, go look for something else, practice with my fist. So they're not purposefully trying to push away from mom, although because we hold them in a different position, it can feel like that. And remember how the mom is not always objective, but it's actually a movement of I'm trying to go find it. Um, Think about the first days of um, the baby working on the breast thing. It's not he goes to the breast, he sucks for 20 minutes, he comes away with a giant full tummy, okay? Um, he is really practicing how to eat. It's like when they first get Cheerios at the high chair. And there's a lot of activity for 10 minutes. But when you pick them up, do they need to be fed or not? They probably do. They are not so good as to get it all to their tummy. And even though the, he's not going to spill anything necessarily, even though he's sucking, he's just not at the ability and effectiveness of for sure drawing out mom's colostrum. Some of them are, but for some of them, there's a bit more practice before they're really getting it done. The skin-to-skin is stabilizing for temperature and heartbeat and respiration for the baby. It's a low-stress place, and the low-stress baby is going to be a better learner and more acting you know, on the instincts wired in on feeding. Um, and it also stirs up mom's hormones to bring supply in sooner. So as we're doing more and more skin-to-skin, we're seeing a little trend towards the milk coming in sooner, which is win-win for everybody. Hand expression is a technique um, that I can send you a link of a little teaching video that they did at Stanford. Because the first milk being that colostrum, it can be like nectar. It's pretty thick. You could put your pump on and it just doesn't want to come. It's like syrup in a spray bottle. But hand expressing the breast onto just the spoon and giving the baby a taste when a baby is really acting sleepy and you're like, I think you really need to move forward and get on with this feeding. Hand expression is a good technique to go into delivery knowing so that you've seen it done on the video and that you could do it if you wanted to and just get a little bit of that colostrum out 
and give it to the baby on a spoon because then they might go, uh-huh, yes, let's go find some more of that. Um, and then that the baby might fuss or sleep when he's hungry. Some of them will scream at you and they will turn red and they will tell you in no uncertain terms that someone better pay attention to me. But the ones that are so low on calories sometimes conserve their calories and say, I'm not going to spend any effort on telling mom or even trying to eat. So a baby running out of gas is one who needs food. Sometimes, first day, they're sleepy, they're nicely nursed, they're just sleepy. But a baby at day five or four who is just wanting to sleep and not showing much interest in food, that might be one who has really taken in less than he should have and needs mom to help get some food in that he doesn't have to work for. He'll come back. You know, but just sometimes as they get started, they are so underserving themselves that they run out of energy. <clears throat> so thinking about um, when you're in the first 24 hours, hang out with that baby skin to skin. Practice, um, practice the feeding and the latching. Maybe hand express teaspoons of colostrum and mom or baby may be sleeping. Some of them are more awake than others. That's the first day. And that, that hand expression, you can give them a taste. And say, see, see what we're going to go work for? You need this. How, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, and then second and third day, most of them wake up more interested in feeding um, and hungrier. Um, we're watching what's going on with their output. Are they still putting out some diapers? And is their weight dropping? It will drop at first because they're definitely peeing and pooping more than they're taking in. Um, but is it you know, dropping off rapidly or is it starting to... Gentle up the curve or even stabilize, and then it's not going to climb in the second and third day, but at least to sort of even out a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, what's the jaundice going on? Can you see the color difference between these twins? So one of them is just looking a little bit yellow, and they'll phase through that. That's a, a higher level of bilirubin in their bloodstream, and their liver is trying to metabolize it. And plenty of food flowing through their system helps them to pee and poop it out a lot better. Um, when they get jaundice, they tend to get much more sleepy. And then they don't eat very well. So jaundice sometimes is one of the places where we would need a mom to work on some hand expressing and pumping. Because the more we can give the baby um, without him having to work for it, the quicker he's going to get past the jaundice. And then second and third day, what are we, we're seeing is the baby um, fussy or sleepy, you know, Sort of trying to evaluate what's their nutrition status. And learning is hard work. Sometimes you'll see a baby at the, at the breast, like the one in the video was fussing a little bit like, this is hard, are you sure there's food at the end of this? And it's okay to try putting them on the breast when they're fussing if they're still working with you. That baby on the video was. If they go into the stiff and back off and the red color is rising, it might be better to just back away and calm down for a minute and then go back and try the breast. Um, and even when the baby is successfully attached a time or two, they can come to a next feeding and act like they've never done it. But how many of you all were a pro the second time you got on Central Expressway? You know, that took a little while till you felt comfortable doing. And you're going to have plenty of practice sessions, so baby will get there, but it won't always be in, in one or two good sessions, and then we're there. Um, it's hard work getting the feeding going. It's hard work doing labor and delivery. But we've got, um, we've got good things ahead. Um, the the um, 
moving past the hard work into the joy when the child's been born and when they get this figured out, it, it does get to a point of pleasure. <clears throat> Frequency, like I was kidding Callie about you can't drink. Um, think about this. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And we think about that verse of, um, and it'll, it'll be in here later, but like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. God doesn't hold back. He's available to us. And there will be times when you decide to make what's going on in your day a little bit more structured. But as this baby is learning to eat and needs to get their weight stabilized and growing, be generous. You don't know how well they are doing this work, whether they're able to come in and just seriously take a lot. You don't know where the level of supply is exactly. And pumping doesn't always completely reflect where's the supply. So I would encourage just a a willingness to be frequent in the first few weeks especially and to respond when baby's showing interest in eating. Okay, That's a point when they're cooperative. You might want to look for that and not let them get to the really mad because they could be much less cooperative when they've gotten seriously worked up or they've almost tired themselves out and won't bring as much effort to the table. Okay, there's that verse. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And this is a just out from birth baby. He has never tasted it. But he instinctively is just sort of seeking something with his mouth because their mouth is like the exploration of all the world item for them. Um, So he, he doesn't know what it is. He's never tasted it. He doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know how to get it. But he's looking. And when he finds it, he's like, good, I want to come back to this. And I think that's an amazing thing. Maybe God's hired, hardwired us to want that of his truth, connecting to him. And um, you want that baby to get the satisfaction of the right thing, that he got what he needed. Um, you want that for your kids. You want that really for yourself. And I hope you want it for your spouse, you know, that as you go through this time when you're so giving out that you're going to be watching out for one another, that they've gotten some satisfaction of spending some sweetness time with the Lord. So things that come up pretty often, soreness happens, especially if you have a strong baby. Oftentimes they're like they can do some damage in one or two little sessions and mom's feeling chapped because they just slightly missed the target of getting it in a great spot and they've left her a little tender. Definitely supply because of not being able to see and moms just being wired to be concerned about their babies. Supply will be a concern. Um, Baby fussing is going to sort of cut to your heart and you're like, okay, what is going on? It's going to happen. Sometimes it's just general fussiness. Sometimes it's I need to connect and feel safe and held. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's gas. Sometimes it's sleepy and they're just not being able to go from the I'm way worked up to the I'm completely relaxed and I can go to sleep and they need some help getting there. And that the baby will start gaining weight. That's, that's valid to be watching for. Um, so those are pretty normal. If the baby's hard to rouse or just wants to sleep, doesn't want to eat, is persistently fussy, is not putting out stools and wet diapers, seems never to be satisfied if he's not gaining weight or mom has some persistent breast or nipple pain, those are things that you should get a, a, you know, a little more help with. Um, that, that hopefully with the help you get past that and it doesn't become a much bigger problem. 
But when there's something difficult, feeding the baby is top priority. And we'd like them to feed at the breast and have plenty there. We'd like them to get breast milk pumped out if they can't do the breast feeding. We'd like them to get food. And if it needs to be formula from the bottle, they still need to eat. That is at the top of the, the priority um, pyramid. You can try calming the baby and offering the breast again when he's calm. If it's just him not settling into a feeding, pray together, calm and support mama. Just sort of take a step back. Maybe take the baby out of the room. Let mom have five minutes just to settle. Um, you can work on increasing the milk transfer and the effectiveness of the baby nursing with some assistance. Like if we improve the latch, sometimes the moms will go, oh, that feels better. And you see the baby settle in and begin doing the drinking, whereas before he'd just been doing a little suck. Um, definitely can give the baby pumped milk or formula or hand-expressed milk. Um, if the baby's getting food from a source other than at the breast, in order to protect mom's production capacity, we want to use the pump so that her body is getting milk removed and we can put the thing back together again. So you could have a baby eating apart from mom, but you need mom to be maintaining supply so that you can get them worked back together. Um, and to get help from an IBCLC or other professional, IBCLC is the International Board Certified Lactation Consultant when you take the test every five years or um, recertify for being a lactation consultant. And there's people, some in pediatric offices, some at the hospital, some that do private practice that will come to your home. Um, there's IBCLC people at the WIC offices. There's, they're, they're out there. There's some online. Um, you can call or email me. Um, just a few thoughts on what's not helpful. This comes from being in the hospital room and seeing some couples, and I sometimes will ask, so what do you all do um, work-wise? So I'm seeing someone who is radically type A putting down on this extreme Excel spreadsheet every minute and second of what's been going on in the day. Okay, the exact measuring and rigidity is not helpful. It's, it's sort of nice to know, okay, the baby was on the breast roughly 15 minutes or 5 minutes, you know, but part of that is just qualitative. It's not the exact minutes because baby could be on there 45 minutes and come away hungry if all he was doing was slightly hanging out. He's not trying to pacify. I don't buy into lazy babies and babies pacifying. I think they want to eat, but sometimes they don't know how to get there, and so they're doing whatever they can do, but they can't get to the next step. Um, but anyway, having a qualitative idea of baby had a very vigorous and active feeding for roughly such and such minutes would be more helpful than someone having written down the exact number of minutes that baby was there but not noting what was he doing there. Does that make sense? Um, a lot of distractions. Thinking about mom's ability to, or, or even both of you, you're both tired after delivery. Um, there's an awful lot of information hitting you and it's a very steep learning curve to now be in charge of taking care of a newborn. If people are having a bunch of conversations in the room when mom is trying to learn breastfeeding, and especially if someone's coming to teach her something, she's already not likely to retain even 50% of what she's going to get. So minimizing the distractions will at least help us get maybe that 50% coming in, okay? And that can be a great thing for dad, but I really would appreciate 
when, when in the room that dad doesn't step out, that he stays in and listens also because she will not retain all of it and she's going to need your support even if she did happen to remember it. And then dad knowing what's going on on this is not so that he can criticize her and tell her what she's doing wrong but more so that he can reinforce and say you're doing this and this and this right. I see you doing this. I see you responding in the baby. That was exactly what the baby needed and more uh, more of uh, um, really coming alongside her to help her see that she's doing right because her brain will more likely go to thinking she's doing wrong. And suggestions just don't come across very well. If someone asks a question, great, answer the question. But suggestions come across like, what you're doing is wrong and I'm going to tell you what to do differently. And blame definitely. But, you know, I mean, we're human. When we get tired or hungry we get cranky. Ask Bobby. I get cranky, especially when I'm hungry. And that's something just to factor in, is that mom may not be aware of when she's eaten or not eaten, or had a drink of water or not had a drink, that um, can help her stay a little more um, even. Okay. And I think God intends for the nursing, um, like the beginning, to come in generously and abundantly. Um, that's what he wants for us. That's what he was promising to um uh, the the city of Zion is that, that you would have children who nurse from satisfying breasts and be nourished and feed them with joy from full breasts, prosperity that flows like a river that floods its banks, that, um, that you'd be nursed and carried and playing, you know, there'd be an awesome relationship developed. And that's what he wants for us with him. That's what he wants with us, with our children. Okay, now this is another one where we're going to watch for swallowing. Okay. And this one is pretty much from so right on off the beginning. Lovely. See how deep that drop of the jaw is? Look at all that drinking. That's not day one or two, baby. Be famous. That's someone who um, has gotten the thin milk has come in, mom is filled up, and there's a nice flow. There we go. <clears throat> okay, special situations which definitely come up. This one, the picture you cannot even see. It's a mom. That's her nose up there. And she's got the baby doing skin-to-skin kangaroo care even though the baby has a respirator on because it's premature. Um, C-sections. Um, probably three to five out of ten of you are going to have C-sections. You know, um, if you've had a C-section before, mostly those are repeat C-sections. Um, that's Dallas, Texas, because we do a lot of interventions. Sometimes, really, it's great to have them because there is a medical um, danger not to do it. Sometimes because it's, well, we think this baby will be too big, so we think we better do a C-section. And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. So when that's facing you, hopefully you and your husband can pray together and say, you know, is, is this what God has for us? If it's clear cut, it's a medical emergency, you see the baby's heart rate's dropped, you're like, please deliver the baby. I want him safe. If it's, you know, you come in at 38 weeks and, ba- and the doctor says, I think this is a pretty big baby and we ought to go ahead and schedule your C-section or your induction. That may or may not be God's timing or plan. And, and, and because the doctor suggests it doesn't mean 
if there's not a medical necessity that you say, yes, go ahead and do whatever you want. I say that because there's a gal in our square one that finished not too long ago who got induced. Um, the induction failed, and it was four size um, at about 38 weeks. And then as she was getting ready to go home, they were like, okay, this didn't work. Her body wasn't ready to go into labor. Her water broke, and so they had to deliver her. And it ended up being a C-section, and it was a seven-pound baby. You know, it wasn't too big. And she looks back, and she feels like, I totally trusted him that he was making a good judgment call. It's still a guess on his part, and she's not real happy with the way things turned out. Yes, they're all healthy, you know. They all made it fine. But that's just, you know, you, you between the two of you and God, if it's optional, do think about it for a minute. Don't just immediately say, oh, well, he's right. Sometimes it's because he's going out of town. And he says, I'd like to get this one taken care of before I go. And that's not necessarily the reason that your baby needs to come that way that day. So, so yes. Ah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone in your family have diabetes? Okay. The reason I ask when you're saying you were 11 pounds, the siblings were more, is that when moms have diabetes and their blood sugar is not well controlled, the babies tend to be oversized. The baby's like just getting a lot of excess sugar that mom's body's not metabolizing. So um, just being careful with your eating during pregnancy can help maintain a more moderate-sized baby that it wouldn't necessarily have to mean that genetically because dad's family had big babies that this baby will automatically be big. There could have been metabolic things going on, you know. Um, But I would not enter into that as much as just ask between you all as a couple to receive the doctor's suggestion and if it's not a, a medical mandate emergency thing, to pray about it and say, what does God lead us to do, okay? And there are studies, hang on a second, Callie, that look at C-sections, like on a repeat mom, repeat C-section, the difference between C-sectioning her at 38 weeks and 39 weeks, both are viable babies, but the 39-week baby is a little bit more mature to handle everything, respiratory-wise, you know, just less NICU admissions, that sort of thing. And to have a trial of labor to see what your body will do. I mean, who knows what the pelvis shape is? Is it wide? Is it narrow? Who knows? We don't know if it's not been tried. So having a trial of labor would be still a reasonable thing. And then if it's clear cut, this is not going to deliver, well, you say, we gave it a try. As opposed to just jumping into the, go ahead and schedule me. And people are doing that now. They're doing the schedule. Yeah, Callie? Yeah. You just don't know. You know, God did deliver us. I mean, he, he designed us to deliver babies. He designed the woman's um, pelvis and the joints to have a hormone that relaxes them a little bit at the end of pregnancy so that things will stretch enough, you know, and the baby's head to mold so that it can fit through. Um, so it's awesome that we have the interventions we have. I mean, it's like having... 
a refrigerator and clean water that we can use formula safely. They can't do that in all parts of the world. I mean, there's some parts of the world where formula would be a very big liability because it's likely to be with rotten water, and if it's been, you know, mixed up, it's going to go bad pretty quick. Um, we have interventions. We have NICUs that will save the babies that, you know, where mom gets an awful blood pressure problem at 34 weeks or 30 weeks, we can save the baby and save both of them. So it's not that you want to throw them out, but you just want to process a little bit. Do, do we see, do we agree with, do we feel like, you know, we're in agreement with God and with the doctor that this is the right course? So just eat real smart and, and go into it prayerfully. Don't feel like, you know, you have to just say, oh, well, fine, we'll just do the C-section. Um, did you have a vaginal or C-section with that big old baby? That's awesome. Okay. And, and the late thing, um, nine days late, is some doctors won't go that long. Some will. But he came when evidently it was his time. Um, early baby, jaundice. One thing I want to say on the C-section early baby is when you can get physical contact with your baby, go for it. Because there's probably going to be some separation at the beginning and that's not what a mom's heart wants at the beginning. She wants to connect with that baby she's been waiting to see for nine months. So as soon as you can get back to that, get back to that skin to skin. And skin to skin is baby with his chest against mom's chest with nothing in between them. So you can put a blanket over the both of you, but baby where he's just wearing the diaper and he has full contact with mom. We're at 10.15. We've got a little longer. Um, NICU and ICU is hard, whether it's ICU for mom or NICU for baby, because of separation. Um, if mom and baby are separated, sometime, if mom wants to do breastfeeding, she might want to ask for a pump so that she can start stimulating her supply. And when she can connect with the baby, we've got a little bit of ground laid for that supply coming in. Um, weight loss sometimes we need to pump and supplement either with breast milk or formula. And sometimes the supply is delayed. For most people, somewhere in 48 to 96 hours, it's, it's coming in. But for some people, there's just something holding back hormonally or um, mechanically. It, it takes a little longer, and it's a bit more of a valley for the baby to go through without a larger supply. Um, we have been chatting for, um, I don't have too many more. Are you guys okay? Any pregnant mamas need the bathroom right now? Okay, we'll be there in just a minute. Do you, do you want to go? Okay. Um, on the bottle feeding, um, thinking about when you're doing that, just a couple of ideas, is that I like to support the baby's head and shoulders, the head at the base of the head. And we'll look at more on the um, positioning for the breastfeeding. But the chin off the chest is important here too because if we have the baby here in the arms, for one, it's almost hard to get to the mouth. And it's hard to get his mouth open. And it's much harder to swallow. If you put your chin on your chest and try swallowing, you'll feel discomfort. Whereas if your head is up off your chest, it feels fine. Um, the other thing on the bottle is that a horizontal bottle, it, it, you can have milk in the nipple, but baby can control a little bit how fast he draws. Whereas if it's on top of him, it's flowing faster. And it's, if there's extra dripping, it's at the back of his throat. So him being up a little bit or on his side, but the bottle being horizontal and the drips not going like to tickle the back of the throat, that way he's trying to figure out how to coordinate suck, swallow, breathe in the right sequence. Suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. 
He doesn't need stuff that's just hanging out and causing him to choke, you know? Um, and I think that's one reason that God designed colostrum to be small amounts because at the beginning, they don't need the flooding of Niagara Falls hitting them in the face. They need to be able to take something that's got a little more substance to it and learn, suck, swallow, breathe in sequence, and then as the amounts are going up, they handle it better. Um, and the nipple resting gently in the mouth like the thumb would, Think about like babies sucking their thumb. It just rests in, in a space that almost is made for it, in the roof of the mouth, and it's pretty far back there. So a nipple that's just barely into the mouth is not going to be a really good place for his tongue to coordinate, suck, swallow, breathe on, as much as if his mouth is fully around it. And again, when you're feeding the baby, especially early on, not so much when they're two months old, but when they're early, you're watching their face for... Are they looking overwhelmed? And if so, then drop the milk out of the bottle or take the bottle out. Give them a moment for a few good breaths. They're going to do that at the breast, like they're going to do some sucking and swallowing. And every now and then, pause for a few breaths. And that's fair on the bottle, too. So different ones are ready to handle it at a different pace. And you're just trying to watch for what your baby's showing you on, um, you know, what, wait just a minute. I got a, I got a burp that's got to come up. Um, Another thing, whether it's breast or bottle feeding, is that they're going to like being next to you, you know, past the skin to skin that you might do early in the early days. But I think about Moses' mom um, who hid him for three months. And I'm figuring she had to have been wearing him, you know, and whatever the long drapey clothes, she probably could get by with looking like she was pregnant for another three months. Because basically, if that baby had something catching what was coming out the other end, he had access to food and he had his mom, and she probably could have kept going like as if, you know, he's covered up and it's just still the bump on the front of her. Um, there was something recently about... Uh, a baby who had problems being in a carrier, I think it was more of a baby not getting to breathe well because of being curled too much. But when they're up on the chest, they've got plenty of good airway protection. You know, you're not going to put them, like they do car seat studies on 35-week-olds because they don't want them in their car seat to be too curled up and not breathe well. So they just put an oxygen monitor on them and make sure that an hour in the car suits, they're doing fine. So, there's that. This photo came from the internet, and the dad was saying something like, he gets to sleep. Not me, but he gets to sleep. And life goes on, but it definitely is different. The more you can prepare for practical help, the better. There's definitely been a couple of families I've talked to recently that were on number two. Remember when the berries were talking? Like, we are ready for this next one. Because they realize that so much will be disrupted that they want to get as much pre-prepared as they can. To simplify and streamline, to anticipate triggers, to just sort of gather the resources that you're going to need. Um, and then we hope we get to little ones who are able to just completely rest in what provisions their parents have done. And that we can be doing that. Um, as a child of our Father, that we are, are not going to worry about the things that we don't have to worry about, that we're being well cared for and fed, um, protected and cared for, and, and completely able to unwind in the hands of the ones that are taking care of us. So as it gets hard, go to the one who will give you rest for your souls. And sometimes that makes a big difference. I know you physically get tired, but sometimes taking 
a minute to just address the condition of the soul, it can help you get to the physical rest too. Because he can lead you with wisdom um, as far as what you're going to do and what's next and what you cut out and what you have to attend to and that sort of thing. And um, in line with that, just getting connected to the Lord, I wanted to remind you all about, are you signed up for being on the journey so that you've got some things that are um, daily manageable amounts coming to your inbox of things to read? And square one for the new moms. The only time we're taking a break now, we're doing six sessions of square one. The only time we don't do it is basically from Thanksgiving to New Year's, which hits some of you. But we've got one, you know, January, February, March, April, May, June, and then the July, August, August, September, October, first part of November are all square one groups. And it is a refreshment for you to be able to hang out with other moms. Um, and then building blocks is uh, moms who um, have kids that are a little bit older than square one. They do twice a month speakers. Um, this doesn't come out very well, but it's got um, Sue Bolin, Elizabeth Tamlin and Holly Barnett, Robbie and Robin Rice on the third one on working, um, Your Body, Allison Treadway, Sarah Stalick on protecting your kids, Cynthia Culver and Mandy Bagdanov on women's insecurity, um, Kristen and Scott Kadersha on the being joyfully committed, and Tracy Beckwith and Suzanne Sanderson on isolation. Um, First Friday, third Thursday is Building Blocks, and there's some awesome podcasts online. Watermark Women, September 8th through November 18th. That September 8th is a Wednesday. November 18th, I think, is a Thursday, but Wednesday or Thursday. And Dads, the Summit Kickoff Breakfast is Thursday, September 9th, 6.30 a.m., and then the Men's Study from the following week through November 18th. They are happy to put you together with other new dads. So if what you want to do is hang out with other people processing through the same life stage, tell Bobby, get me in a group of new dads. It doesn't have it on the service you sign up, but you can ask him, okay, or just put, it, put a note in there and say, I would be really happy to hang out with some other new dads um, as I'm doing the men's study this year. Because it's probably going to be a refreshment for you to be able to say, oh, my goodness. You know, here's this and that. I know the women find it like that. And um, at any rate, refreshment for you for just being able to be taken in the word and having a moment of time that's just men. Okay, I want to demonstrate just a little bit on the positioning. Um, and um, then I have a, uh, well, let's, let's take a break, then we'll do positioning, because then I've got something to hand you that is a, um, well, we've got 25 minutes. How are we doing? We're good? Okay, get up and go if you need to go and come back. Just a moment on the positioning. Generally, the cross-cradle positioning is the first one we try for feeding, where baby's supported at the base of the head, because if I creep up to the top of the head, pushes the nose in. Base of the head guides the jaw in, which we want to do. Mom's hand has to be pretty wide open so she doesn't get in his way. Leave him a lot of breast tissue. Snuggled into mom, and if... The baby is not quite to the breast. He's likely to work that way and open wider, whereas if he's right there, he's not likely to open as wide. So I'd give him a little distance and try to hold back from doing it for him. Wait for a big open mouth, plant his lower lip, and then roll him on the top. It's exactly the same movement I'm going to do if I have a nice big burger. I don't try to go get the meat out of the middle. I tip the burger up. The meat's aimed that way. I open really wide. I put it on my lower lip first and I go bun around the meat bun. 
And that's honestly what you're wanting the baby to do, sort of bun around the meat bun. And the top half is not near as important as the bottom. Okay? And then when baby's attached, you see, does he look really settled in and comfortable? And if he does, then am I comfortable? It should work for both. Okay? Um, the normal nursing is going to start with a little non-nutritive sucking. And then he starts getting some flow because mom's body responds. And he might do a few gathers and then a drink. But you watch the jaw and see if you can see some difference or hear some difference of... They're going to pause for some breaths here and there. Sometimes they're going to stop. They might um, go to sleep um, because they haven't found anything. They might be worn out. They might have a burp, and it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel right to take any more in until that burp comes up. So you're going to offer burps until you figure out your baby and see are they going to do much or not on the burping thing. But offer it. Um, let's see. How long on one side? If they're still drinking, I'd let them be. You really want them to have a first side thorough feeding so they get the hind milk as well as the foremilk, and then as much as they'll take from the second side. In the ballpark of 20 minutes, maybe, maybe 25, but it depends a little bit on um, what kind of activity is going on. If they're not doing anything after five minutes, there wouldn't be any reason to stay on there for really long. If they're still drinking and swallowing, let them still drink and swallow. You know what I mean? Let them do a little more. Um, frequency we talked about, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 12 times a day would be a pretty good, you know, we want to get there. We don't want to go a lot less than that. Don't want to be feeding 25 times a day because something's not working if it's that frequent. Um, what other questions? I'll pull out my tests for you. Those are challenge cards. I hope. There they are. Okay, between what we've talked about on the presentation and um, what's on your handout sheets, let's see, just take some of those and everybody get one or two. <clears throat> I've got scenarios for you that I want you to say, is there a problem or no problem? And if there's a problem, what would I do about it? So that you're using what we've just taken in. <clears throat> Hello? Are you looking for the uh, Myers-Briggs thing? It's room 421. They're on the table at the back. I'll get them for you. And we are going to have to leave at 1045. I sort of had thought we might have a classroom that we didn't have to leave immediately for, but we can have questions out there if we need, because <clears throat> I'm happy to stay for however long. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> Jeremiah, start us off. <clears throat> uh, your baby has been spitting up a lot after feedings. Okay, do you think it's a problem or not a problem that baby's spitting up? Mm, I may be okay with it and just clean up, but <laughs> I think that may be a problem. Okay, like a problem going on with the baby. Maybe they just need to burp. Okay. Okay, I could go with that. Anybody else think anything? That would be, yeah, that would make a difference. If it's everything or, or just a little bit. Some babies are spitty, and sometimes 
they've taken in food and gotten an air bubble. When the air bubble comes up, a little food comes up. It's like, okay, it just was going to. And they're not full because now that the air bubble's up, they're ready for a little more. So it's, you, you, you will probably have a better sense because of watching time after time what's going on. Sometimes also a large amount coming back is because mom had a blasting supply and the baby took in so much so quickly that it just didn't stay down. It was just mechanically, it was too much too quick. And, and they're, they're fine. They're still growing. It's just that mom has this little laundry issue that she has to deal with once in a while. Okay. Jessica? Mom K <clears throat> finds a large, hard, hot, and red area on her right breast. A large, hot, hard area on her breast. What do you think? Sounds like a problem. <clears throat> it does. <laughs> it does. I'm coming close so that they'll, it'll get recorded and I don't have to repeat it all. Um, At least uncomfortable. Okay, what do you think could be going on? Um, we honestly didn't talk about that. Okay. This is asking a lot. Well, um, we did talk about this. I was going to say maybe latches wrong, and so it created a sore spot, or, but I don't know. What the that's a possibility, because that's one of the places where there can be pain is because of latch. The, the lump in the breast is likely to be that area of milk-making glands is not draining, mm-hmm. and the milk has sat still longer, and when it sits still very long, it actually irritates inside the breast. If it progresses it can get infected. So if mom, in addition to having it hurt here, starts feeling flu symptoms and temperature, it's time to call for antibiotics. But before it goes there, if you can notice that it hurts and you encourage it with your hand, come on and and keep flowing. Don't back up. You can probably get past it without it getting worse. So antibiotics would fix that? Not at the beginning. But if you if it like if it takes over and your whole body is reacting to it, it, it's necessary to have antibiotics. But when you notice you're going to have some lumpiness and some backup once in a while anyway. But if you can just work it through a little bit, or help the baby nurse well on that side, or pump, and while your baby's nursing or you're pumping, you're just encouraging flow from that area. Moms sometimes solve it themselves. Okay, what do you have? Baby R is five weeks old and his mom just came down with the stomach flu and a temperature. Do you think it's a problem to have a five-week-old and have a stomach flu? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Switch to formula or something during that time? I don't know. What will happen on mom's side if you switch to formula when, when mom is sick? and um, I mean, baby would get fed. She would get backed up, and she'd get the lumpy thing that Jessica had, <laughs> and then she could go into a problem. <clears throat> Do you think the baby is going to catch what mom has? Are you going to keep away from the baby when you're sick? No, probably not. And they're probably exposed already. Um, the mom's body is making things to fight it, and by keeping on nursing, she'll protect from getting back up and she'll give him those antibodies. So it's like, just keep moving. Unless you've got something bad enough to go in the hospital for, you know, the, the chances are it's better for him to have it and better for mom to continue to give it. Mm. You can still feed them when you're on antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Most of them. 
And, and usually when your doctor has to prescribe something, there's alternatives that are safe for breastfeeding. A, a few things that are not, but they're not very many. And if your doctor's saying, now let's say we've had people who have been treated by a, a neurologist or a, I don't know, a, somebody else, a radiologist. They're not comfortable with saying it's okay to nurse with this. Who do you think you'd ask for, like, is this okay for the baby to have flowing through me? Is it going to get into the breast milk and mouth that's large enough that I'd worry about the baby? Exactly. The pediatrician's really the final red light or green light for what goes in. It's not the doctor who is completely uncomfortable with breastfeeding who would be more likely to say, quit, pump and dump. You know, he's covering his bases, but ask the pediatrician. Yeah. What's your deal? <clears throat> Baby G has one stool and two wet diapers on day two, and his weight dropped four ounces from yesterday. One stool and two wets, and a four-ounce weight drop from the day before. But he's day two. Mm -hmm. Okay? What do you think? Um, Is it a problem? I know you were saying two and two on day mm -hmm. two. Um, how much, I guess I don't really know if, how much you expect babies, to, if you expect them to lose weight. I know a lot of babies do lose weight well, after they're born, but I don't know what's normal. Yeah. I guess part of it would depend on percentage. Because if you had a five-pounder losing it versus a nine-pounder losing it, the percentage drop is a whole lot more on the, on the five-pounder. But what else could you look at that would give you an idea of how he's doing? How he's sleeping, how he's crying, if he's fussy, does he still give effort for eating, or has he faded a little? Yeah. So it could be it could be fine, because that's just like okay, it doesn't quite meet the criteria, but it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Matt, you got one? Yeah. Uh, baby B was born by C-section four and a half weeks early. He seems eager to nurse, but falls asleep after sucking five minutes. Okay. What do you think is going on, and do you think it's a problem, and what would you do? He's, he's four and a half weeks early, so he's 35, five, for 35 and a half weeks out. It's probably, I, if he's eager to nurse, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But if he's falling asleep, he doesn't have the, the energy. Or the, yeah. yeah. If he's falling asleep after five minutes, the chances of him getting all the calories he should get aren't real good. So what you might do is continue to let him do some nursing, but also plan to put something in him one form or other. And there's actually more than just a bottle for feeding. You can do a little teeny tube and let them suck on a finger. Sometimes if they're latched well on the breast, you can put the little tube with either formula or breast milk at the breast and help them get it just without as much work. <coughs> so there's other alternatives. Yeah. That's, that's good. It's nice to see that they're still eager, but okay, no, he probably wouldn't be that effective to get all he needs. Allison, what do you have? Um, Cousin N advises you that when breastfeeding, you cannot eat broccoli or garlic and have to drink lots and lots of milk and water. How are you feeling about broccoli and garlic and water and milk? <laughs> I mean, I think you just continue eating a balanced diet like you were... Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to avoid, I mean, I don't know. I'd probably Google it, number one. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? I think, you know, that's, that's the generation you're in. Uh -huh. But I, I totally agree with your assessment. 
The food thing, does anyone have family who carry an EpiPen for a food allergy? What is it for? Peanuts. Okay. And which family member? Okay, so that's not super close. If it was you carrying the EpiPen, you know, or the husband, maybe we would just sort of back off and not eat that food for a bit. And some foods might cause gas, Mm -hmm. but a baby's likely to have gas no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think that your first instinct, eat smart, is so much more important than saying, I'm going to cut out all this stuff from my diet. If, you know, because mom's operating now with not big chunks of sleep, a lot's being demanded. So you're thinking about the marathon runner and how important nutrition is. Really just eat smart. And then you see, yeah, just a second. Um, if, if there's a serious problem that continues to show up, then you'd investigate, is there a food that could be contributing? Yeah, I would so tell you to eat smart. And you know what? It's going to be like you want to cut corners. The brownies that someone brought you might look good for lunch, but you're going to have an energy crisis. You might need something like a little bit of tuna or string cheese at 3 a.m. So you need to have some protein sources and plenty of hydration that are available really anytime. What were you going to say, Mandy? Oh, I had a friend that told me that, you know, we're not supposed to eat tissue when we're pregnant, that we're not even supposed to eat tissue while we're breastfeeding. And I was like, Okay, is sushi a favorite? Yeah. The um the the dietitian I've heard speak on that, which I have not Googled it and asked an obstetrician lately, yeah. but the dietitian was saying you just be super careful because you don't want to have the stomach flu when you have a newborn. But the likelihood even when you get a stomach upset is it's in your intestinal system unless it was awful it's not in your bloodstream and it's what's in your bloodstream that can get in the milk so alcohol can totally get in the milk but it also metabolizes out pretty quick big presidente margaritas take longer (laughs) so you have to be careful you know (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. Um, I have heard people say that you need to drink a lot of water though when you're breastfeeding yes but you're probably going to have a hormone that it, it does three possible things in terms of mom feeling the hormone. She can feel a lot thirstier when she's feeding. She can feel sleepy, relaxed is nice, but sometimes it's like drugged, I can't keep my eyes open. And she can feel a little bit of the muscles in her uterus tightening up. It's, the, it's working on the muscles in the breast to move the milk forward. So you're likely to be thirsty, but if you overdid it and you're just like, urinating like nonstop, your body's trying to shift out some fluid. So you drink to thirst and just be well hydrated. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be milk. Okay. Okay, we're going to get a few more in. What you got? You have planned uh, that for the first week, you two will get to know your your new baby without family coming to stay with you. Okay. The two Uh, of you handling it for the week so that you can get to know the baby. I think family support is probably good during that first week. That's probably a, a couple's decision. Because I have a friend who was the grandmother, her and her middle daughter had a baby, and the two of them wanted to be on their own for a week. And when she went out there, I was like, I could not stay away. I don't know how she did it. Then Dad said, I'll show you how it's all done. Dad just totally had jumped in, gotten feeling comfortable about it, but... 
you know, different people do it different ways. I've also heard of people who go stay at grandma's bed and breakfast so the couple gets a guest room. They don't have their doorbell and phone. Grandma has her own kitchen and laundry. And they, you know, dad could even go to work and it's just, you know, like they're at a hotel room. But there's likely to be not a whole lot of sleep and a whole lot of, um, it helps to have other people take care of food and laundry for you. Your choice. Okay, Ray's, what do you all have? Baby G is two and a half months old and has only pooped once this week. We didn't talk about that. What do you think? Probably not getting enough food. Okay, but at two and a half months, actually some of them are just using their food really thoroughly and storing up what's in their gut and making a big blowout less often. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it can be a bad <laughs> Yeah, so it can, the numbers can drop down at some point. Mm-hmm. Elena? Okay. The night nurse suggests that for tonight, mom should get some rest unless the nursery keep and feed baby I. Okay. No. You would say no. No. Well, because I think, I mean, you're going to have to get up to pump, right, to keep your milk coming in, so then you might as well just feed the baby. Right. And it's the same thing because a lot of people will say, we want dad to be able to feed. But for the beginning, it's an equation. Mom needs emptying, baby needs filling, and it's just adding more steps to it to try to divert off. Let, let dad handle a lot of other stuff. Sorry for coming close in your personal space, but save me <laughs> repeating. Uh, Mom T's baby is really having a hard time breastfeeding but she's able to pump enough of her milk to give it in a bottle and not use any formula. Okay. Um, I'd say it's great that she's able to pump, but to still to watch her baby's signs and to still try and, you know, if, if the baby's getting lackadaisical, or then you can feed from the bottle, but to really make sure you're still trying to have the baby take the breast. That's what I do. Because the, every mom that's come back in the hospital that has done lots of pumping and bottling with the breast milk says to me on baby two, I do not want to do that again. It's like all the work, none of the pleasure, <clears throat> none of the convenience. <clears throat> They're still getting the advantage of the breast milk. But ideally, it's a good situation for a mom to be in. She's making everything baby's taking. But then it's time to let's see if we can get it happening in one step. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Mandy, what you got? Right after baby L was born, he was taken to the NICU because he needed help breathing. Okay. Nothing you can do about that. But what do you do on your end, knowing that, excuse me, that you want to move forward towards breastfeeding? Ask for a pump and start getting that colostrum and Mm -hmm. send it down. And And as soon as mom can get down there, Mm -hmm. even just a hand, and if dad can get down there sooner, touch that baby needs you guys. You know, yes, he's got medical needs, but when you can connect physically, tactily, that's good. Good. And hand expression, because the pump might not do anything more than encourage supply in the first two days, but you can get a little bit of that colostrum. Jonathan, what do you have? <clears throat> baby nurses for 45 to 60 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that seems like a really long time. It is long. <laughs> But it wouldn't be abnormal for a first week baby. Mm-mm. It can take. I mean, you're, if you're feeding eight times a day and you've got an hour of feeding, you are taking on a whole job. 
but it gets better. So does the baby do that eight times a day? Maybe more. <laughs> See how much support she's going to need? How often was it? 45 to 60 minutes. Is that because they can't get a lot because they don't have much strength? Or why is it so long? Think about ability. You know, it's like if you're a skier... And it's, you know, the bunny slope is hard work when you're brand new. And then when you get better, you are sailing all day long without getting tired. Yeah. Um, it improves. And if it seemed excessively long and like your baby's not getting satisfied and it didn't seem to be making progress, then it's time to say, okay, we need someone to double check that what the baby is doing is working. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't expect that to go on for more than a week or <clears throat> <clears throat> it, it will be tapering down. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and you think, too, as mom gets more and more flow, yeah. this thing can happen pretty quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who do you go to? If, like, if it was over a week, who do you ask? Do you ask your pediatrician? Or That's a good place call? to start. Okay. You're going to try to get help, which is, thanks for bringing that up. Pediatrician's office might have support on that, or call lactation, or email me. If you guys, I'll put the roster out here um, and make sure that if you didn't do transparent that I have your email. Because then I'll email you stuff where you can get me after baby comes if you need me. Okay? Okay. All right. When dad arrives home from work, mom shoves the baby in his arms and disappears. I put this one in here because I did it. He was gone on a two-day business trip that stretched to ten, and I had a baby at home, and I was dying. So when he came to the door, and he'd had to buy shirts and underwear, you know, it was not expected to be that long of a thing. I'm like, here. And now, 30 years later, he still remembers it, and I think that really wasn't very smart of me. (laughs) Uh, So... No, he remembers that <clears throat> yeah, that he was pretty tired from his business trip as well as me being tired, but um it wasn't a really smart move. So I answered that one for you. Do you have another one? Okay, sorry about that. Tell that on myself. <clears throat> okay, what do you have? Okay, I have three coworkers that come to visit you and the baby and the baby begins showing hunger cues. Okay, so you're in the hospital, coworkers come visit, and baby is starting to act like I'm ready to eat. And this is a good dad question. What are you going to do? Say, go away. (laughs) I like that. Um, What are some other, just sort of like getting our script ready, what else can we say, um, you know, when that situation's happening? Anybody who would come to visit me, I think, wouldn't be wanting to see that. So, <laughs> okay. I would warn them they want to leave. Them. I want to go with them personally, because um, I'm one of those that gets kind of weirded out too. Uh, it's not normal in our culture to be around it. It's not. It is not. Like no. What you said a while ago, a lady mm-hmm. did that at a restaurant. It freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think there'll be enough exposure to it happening that it will it will be a change that you'll be okay with in your home. But you still, as a couple, have to figure out where where are our boundaries, you know, with whom and with how much exposure and where would we be that we are okay with. You know, because you don't want to cause someone else to be uncomfortable. And yet there's times when you're out with a fussy baby, like on an airplane, that everyone would be happy if that baby wasn't fussing. You know, so what's the kinder thing to do? 
But some other things you can say. Do you have one? Okay. Is, um, mom needs privacy for feeding the baby now, so we'd like everyone to step out. Or, um, you know, our, our staff recommends that we really keep our visits short, especially if it was a C-section. Blame it on staff. You know, mom has got to use her energy just for feeding and resting, and so we're limiting our visits. Um, you, you all can say, you know, really it's, it's real fair to set boundaries on that. You can tell people not to come. You know, mom could be very exhausted after a long labor, definitely after a C-section, and you could say, we, we just need to focus on the things we're learning in these first few days, and we'd rather postpone visiting. You can't do that for the out-of-town family that came in, but you can also say, would you all step out to the waiting room or coffee shop or whatever. So, Emily, what do you have? You have had depression in past years and want to <coughs> avoid postpartum depression. We didn't talk about postpartum depression, but it comes up. Any ideas? Um, well, I don't know. I guess maybe you would want to voice that to your doctors or something that that could be concerned okay. ahead of time. Yeah, if there's a history, that would be a good thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would think if you were really tired and not eating right, that would probably... That definitely tips it tips the balance, yeah. But I don't know what the treatments are for that. Sometimes it's extra, um, like, vitamins and nutritional supplements. Sometimes it's prescription drugs. Sometimes it's um, therapy, talking with people. So for some of the square one moms, we've really suggested there's, there's things that are very deep-seated, and it would be good to do CR so that you can work on something on a long-term basis and get it uprooted because it's likely to come back. You know, throw a little prescription drug at it, it's better for symptom-wise for a short time, or go on and deal with the problem because under stress, things that are more buried tend to come, you know, more to the surface. That's going to be normal. So definitely don't, if, if you, either one of you all recognize something is not really the normal, it, a lot of moms have the blues that are coming through, and they're not hugely severe, and they don't last forever. But if it's getting pretty strong and it's lasting instead of going away, then um, waving a flag and saying, okay, where are we going to find help? Okay, And we've got resources here. You can contact Watermark, and, and we've got you know, different, um, like an assessment tool if you want to go online and take the you know, checklist and say, am I falling in that or not? Or people that you can talk to. Okay? Okay. How do you say your name? Kelia. Kelia, nice to meet you. Okay, what what's going to reassure you whether he's getting enough or not? His output. Yeah. 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 Another thing you will probably notice feeling fuller before and softer after. So you'll notice some volume change for most moms. Yeah. Okay, wrap, wrapping this up, Jason. Uh, the night nanny you have hired believes babies need to have a pacifier to go to sleep. We didn't talk about pacifiers. We're, yeah, we're, kinda, we're against it right now. But <laughs> we well put. Well put, yet. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a couple that, that's not. Let's come up with when would be a good use of one and when would be a not good use of a pacifier. Can you envision what would be a good use? 
but they're gaining and growing. It's no problem on nutrition. Yeah. Or you have like a super upset one and you put a finger or a passy in for a moment and they calm down. It could be a tool that could have a use. But it could also be like people... I saw someone the other day and their baby was just sitting there perfectly calm and they're shoving the pacifier in and I'm thinking, do they just need to walk around with a plug in, you know? Or the always needing a pacifier to go to sleep means that at a couple of months, you know, you're going to be trotting in there when they lose it and they can't find it to put it back in. That's not really going to be a help. Or in the first few days, if they're acting like they want to suck on something, chances are they're just needing to eat and to not do eating, mom's supply isn't getting stimulated and they're not getting the nutrition they need. So that's sort of a, it can, it can be used okay and it can be used not so okay. Do hospitals regularly just use them without? Our hospital has knocked them out. But the, pedi- the obstetricians had an attack about not having them available for circumcisions and so they're back just a little bit. Just a little. Yeah. They'll tell you. They are supposed to tell you. 